If you're used to meditating right now in this moment, you may not want to do anything other than just continue to sit and be silent. Very sweet. But it's time for some readings. And I'm going to skip the next, the next hymn between the readings and the sermon. We'll just go right on. So the first reading is from, um, from the poet, uh, the Sufi poet, Rumi. It's one that's familiar, I hope, to many of you. It's one of my favorites. It's the guest house. And it's all about a community of love. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. <sighs> How unlike my reactions usually. Don't want this. Oh, good. Oh, good. That looks good. Push that one away, and so on. It really is an internalization of the way we treat others in our world, because those things that we don't like are in ourselves are like others in ourselves. So what would it be like to welcome them all? I remember when I first meditated for many hours in retreat, and I do recommend it, but get some support. I was blown away by a hurricane of anger. It was just almost nonstop. I was interrupted, you know, a few minutes of, of, of anger, rage with me sitting on a cushion being silent, you know, and then other things would come up, and then bang, more, more, and I remember, I remember saying, you know, I remember saying to myself, they can't make me do this. And I was completely enraged. Um, now, you're not the same as me in that way, but you've got your own stuff in there that if you just let yourself be quiet and let it bubble up, it will bubble up. Most of the time, we don't because we don't know how to welcome it. We don't know that if we welcome it, it will take care of itself if we let it happen. So that met, lasted for days, no matter, no matter what. Uh, I just sat and I got angry. But every experience that arises in meditation, according to meditation instructions, is equivalent. There's no such thing as a good meditation. There's no such thing as a good experience or a bad experience in meditation. They're just experiences that arise within your guest house. But why should life be any different than the meditation? Why should we waste our time pushing against the things that are arising that we don't like and trying to get more of what we do like when all of that effort really doesn't amount to much? Be grateful for whoever comes. 
Now this. Now this. Now this. Do you really think pushing it away is going to keep it away? Do you really think trying to grab something and hold it to you is going to make you keep it? Even illness, there's a, a, a Buddhism can be called many things. Um, one of my favorite descriptions I have for Buddhism is it's mind training. It's training our mind to get out of unproductive habits and to take on some constructive habits, such as openness, which leads to wisdom, to see how things really are, instead of getting caught in our usual ruts, without really seeing what's happening. So one of the mind training um, disciplines in um, practices in Tibet is called Lojong. It's done in a with a series of slogans. And uh, Chogyam Trungpa, that same guy who, uh, who I quoted earlier, uh, wrote a commentary on those Lojong, the Lojong practices. And uh, one of the things he said was that we should have the attitude that if I'm going to be ill, may I be ill. If it is better for me to be ill than to be healthy, may I be ill. If others would benefit more from my being ill, may I be ill. Or if I'm happy and others will benefit from that, let me be happy. If it is better for me to die, let me die. The particular things are not important. What is important is the positive attitude that we have toward whatever it is, toward the, the space we are within which all of this is arising. We can't stop it anyway. So actually, it is a little bit pleasant to have a cold arise and to, and to have a practice whereby you get in touch with a little equanimity and it's perfectly okay that you have a cold. Now, when the heavy stuff happens, that's a little bit more difficult, but still the same. I've had a great deal of help with these practices in traffic jams, I will tell you. I hate traffic jams. So welcoming everything. How else can we have a beloved, loving community if we do not welcome everything? Bernie Glassman is a pioneering Buddhist teacher with a meditation center in um, Central Mass, Montague Mass. He established uh, a Zen order, peacemakers, Zen peacemakers. He's a very, very... Uh, He's, he's, a, he's a wonderful teacher and a very powerful man. His mission statement says this, we seek to bear witness to the joy and suffering of the universe and to realize and actualize the oneness and interdependence of life through study, practice, and action for personal and social transformation we seek to connect, train, and empower Zen peacemakers throughout the world. We are committed to nonviolence, inclusivity, free expression, and experimentation. You're getting the welcoming theme here. 
Bernie runs street retreats, right here in Boston he's done some, in which a small group of participants spend a week or so on the streets of a city with the homeless and with no money, and you have to go without shaving for five days before that and just wear rags and, um, and you're set loose. And they have uh, you know, a, a meeting every evening to process what's going on, and then you have to go out alone. It's, it's, um, I have not done this, but it's on my, it's on my list of to-dos. Welcoming an experience of alienation and homelessness. Practicing welcoming. He also does retreats at Auschwitz. And he takes the descendants of the victims of Auschwitz and the descendants of the perpetrators of Auschwitz and goes on uh, retreats there. Radical welcoming. In Tibet, there's a tradition of doing meditation in charnel grounds. Those are burial grounds, but uh, the scary, scary places. And it's said that if you can, if you can meditate, you know, where, where, it, where it's really scary, you're, you have quite some capacity to meditate. Over here, you might say, meditate in hospitals, in emergency rooms. Meditate in Times Square or Grand Central Station. Don't have to have everything nice and perfect and neat. That's not what meditation is about. In Tibet, it's not possible to bury underground because the earth is too hard, either because you know, it's rocky and, or it's frozen. So they practice sky burial. And the bodies are hacked to pieces by, by uh, teenagers who have that job and thrown to the many vultures who are there to, who devour them. I've been to Tibet and seen the charnel grounds and the sky burial places. To meditate in these scary places is to become open to the most difficult feelings and to leave ordinary comfort and ordinary sense of self behind. To open to simple equanimous being, just simply being. In the Zen tradition it's called not knowing. Not knowing what you think you know. Not knowing that this is bad. Not knowing that this is unpleasant. Just being there. Leave yourself clinging behind. Just be open to everything. Whoa. Now I know this is, this is heavy lifting. I'm just opening this up. I don't expect any of us to actually, quote, you know, jump out of the box and do it right away. But if there is some connection that you make with, oh, I see some logic there. I see actually the reasonableness of it. Mm, then maybe it pays to work toward diminishing our habits of self-constriction and learning to loosen and open to a more pure sense of being itself, not having to have it the way we have to have it all the time. So here's an excerpt from Bearing Witness, which is a, a book by um, Bernie Glassman, a Zen master's lessons in making peace. Here's Bernie Glassman speaking. In my view, we can't heal ourselves or other people unless we bear witness. In the Zen peacemaker order, we stress bearing witness to the wholeness of life, to every aspect of the situation that arises. 
So bearing witness to someone's kidnapping, assaulting, and killing a child means being every element of the situation. Being the young girl with her fear, terror, hunger, and pain. Being the girl's mother with her endless nights of grief and guilt. Being the mother of the man who killed, torn between love for her son and the horror of his actions. Being the families of both the killed and the killer, each with its respective pain, rage, horror, and shame. Being the dark, silent cell where the girl was imprisoned. Being the police officers who finally, under enormous pressure, caught the man. And being the jail cell holding the convicted man. It means being each and every element of this situation. How Bernie practices that and teaches that in real life. This is not just theory and wishful thinking. Bernie practices and teaches being a guest house and helping others to learn too. The Buddhist perspective is that we are not what we think we are. We are not just our small individual self-contractions. We are immense. We are huge. We are, in John Kabat-Zinn's phrase, the full catastrophe. Okay, but how do we become open to everyone and everything? We're going to do a practice, actual practice of natural wisdom and love, which is one of the ways in which uh, we actually do some transformation. It's what Buddha's practice is about. It's not good ideas or it's not believing anything. The Buddha himself said very clearly, do not believe anyone. Do not believe me. Do not believe your teacher. Do not believe anything because it's written. Don't believe a thing. It's not about that. Test it within your own experience. Then you will know. That's the authority. No belief. So let's try it out. Let's test it in our own experience. We don't want to make it up. We want to discover what really is true about ourselves and our own experience. If, if it is our nature to be friendly to everyone and everything, then how do we awaken to it? If we really believe that we are not, we certainly can't awaken to it. But community and love is blocked when we fearfully separate ourselves from others and believe ourselves to be small, isolated creatures. I, I'm thinking of one, I don't know, I'm not sure this, this fits, but I'm thinking of one of the story of the two guys in a canoe who were um, paddling in a southern stream and one guy sees a scorpion that's struggling to stay afloat because scorpions don't usually swim. And the, the one guy in the canoe puts his hand out and lifts the scorpion gently up and then reaches over and places it on a rock on the shore. And while he's doing that, the scorpion stings him. And his friend and his companion in the canoe says, oh, what, what, you know, why are you doing that? You know that it's the scorpion's nature to sting. And, the, and his friend just looked at him and said, 
It's my nature to care. So is it true that it is our nature to care in that way? And can we actually discover what that is like and how much that is true? So that's what we do in Buddhist meditation. There are two steps to this. One is the step which is called wisdom. The other step is called skillful means or love and compassion. The wisdom part is simply letting go and not doing anything. Learning to let go of what we think we are and what we think we know. Simply relax. Can we do that? Yes, you can do it. Franz Kafka, who is not a Buddhist, wrote this. You do not need to leave your room. Remain sitting at your table and listen. Do not even listen. Simply wait. Be quiet, still, and solitary. The world will freely offer itself to you to be unmasked. It has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. So let's have the world roll in ecstasy at our feet. Let's do the wisdom, the wisdom piece, then we'll add the, we'll add the love piece. So I invite you simply to sit with a fairly straight back, comfortable, feet on the floor, solid, rooted. should be kind of nice just not to do anything and relax. You can have your eyes open or closed. The Tibetan way is with eyes open because guess what? When we close our eyes, it's kind of like not welcoming sight. So what we want to do as much as possible is welcome everything. Keep your ears open, your nose open, your mouth open, and your eyes open. You can close your eyes if you want. Do whatever you want. But the idea is simply to be in this welcoming, spacious attitude. And as things arise, just allow them to arise, but allow them to go. Practice letting go. The spiritual muscle is very much like the sphincter. It works when it's relaxed and let go. Let everything take care of itself. And maybe even allow some boundaries to dissolve. Allow sky-like mind to arise, spacious, open, room for everything. You might even experience yourself sort of falling into that open 
spaciousness. If you're not hanging on to your thoughts and ideas, that may well happen. And then let it all dissolve and we'll do the next part. That's a very short one. We often do this for 15 minutes or so. Now the next piece is a little more effortful. This is the love part. The first part of wisdom is a natural welcoming where you allow your own being to be as open as it really is. Room for everything. And the second part is calling to mind beings, places, things which naturally trigger your sense of care. You're being cared for. You're being loved. And we call those triggers, those, those beings who naturally trigger this in us, benefactors. And now most of our benefactors who obviously could be mother, father, relatives, and so on. It's best for this exercise to take simple people, simpler things, and even pets, dogs, cats, who clearly wish you well. Simply bring to mind whatever being it is that triggers within you a sense that you are cared for, you are loved. There's a sense of joy, openness. It could be a favorite location, a place by the beach or on the mountain where you naturally have a sense of, being let, of, of, of letting go and being safe, and where there's an implicit expression of the wish that you be well and happy and the reality of your wellness and happiness. Many of us have difficulty identifying benefactors because people who have been close to us have abused us. That does become a problem. But in this case, don't choose someone who's been abusing you or has abused you. Someone simple, a neighbor. Someone who provided a safe space for you when you were a child for some afternoon or more. The important thing is that being triggers a sense of being cared for. Could be a spiritual being, a saint, the Dalai Lama or Gandhi or Martin Luther King, beings who from afar fill you with this sense of delight, care. And they didn't have to tell you this. By the way, I'm wishing you love, I'm loving you now. It's just that being with them gives rise to this sense.
and I'll read a poem about Benefactor. This is called At the Corner Store by Alice Luterman. Um, it's quoted in this book, Awakening Through Love, by my teacher John McCransky. It was a new old man behind the counter, skinny, brown, and eager. He greeted me like a long-lost daughter, as if we both came from the same world, someplace warmer and more gracious than this cold city. I was thirsty and alone, sick at heart, grief-soiled, and his face lit up as if I were his prodigal daughter, returning, coming back to the freezer bins in front of the register, which were still and always filled with the same old cable car ice cream sandwiches and cheap frozen greens. Back to the knobs of beef and packages of hot dogs, these familiar shelves strung with potato chips and corn chips, stacked up beer boxes and immortal Jim Beam. I lumbered to the case and bought my precious bottled water, and he returned my change beaming, as if I were the bright new buds on the just bursting open cherry trees, as if I were everything beautiful struggling to grow, and he was blessing me as he handed me my dime. Over the dirty counter and the plastic tub of red licorice whips, this man, who didn't speak English, beamed out love to me in the iron week after my mother's death, so that when I emerged from his store, my whole cockeyed life, what a beautiful failure, glowed gold like a sunset after rain. Frustrated city dogs were yelping in their yards, mad with passion behind their chain-length fences, and in the driveway of a peeling paint house, a woman and a girl danced to contagious reggae. Praise Allah, the Buddha, Kuan Yin, Jesus, Mary, and even jealous old Jehovah. For eyes, hands of the divine, everywhere. So if you would simply sit in openness, stillness, and bring to mind your benefactor or benefactors, and receive from them the wish of love, in the form of, may you be deeply well and happy, just as Alice Luterman was experiencing it from the man. He didn't say it, but that's what was going on. So find that in your life that is the same. And just receive. Receive that wish. Receive the welcoming from your benefactor. So the exercise is to picture the benefactor in front of you and receive the radiant wish that you be well and happy. And every experience you are having is natural, your resistance or whatever it is. But the exercise is simply to come back to the image of the benefactor and receive the wish. It takes practice.
Now we're going to speed things up a great deal here, but uh, bear with me. You, you'll get the point, but you won't get the benefit because you have to meditate on this to get the benefit. But here's the point. Now in front of you, bring to mind dear ones for whom you wish them to be well and happy. And place your benefactor now behind you and continue to receive the wish of love from your benefactor that you'd be well and happy. And allow the radiance of your benefactor's wish to trigger your own response and pass through you and radiate that desire, that wish of love toward your dear ones. Friends, children, parents, pets, neighbors, whoever they are. May these be deeply well and happy. And note the genuineness of it. And also that your benefactor is looking, is seeing clearly into you and is seeing your deep goodness. It's looking right past all the flaws that we all have and just into your deepest goodness. Wishing you well. And now beside your dear ones, picture some strangers, just others, people you've noticed in the grocery store or neighbors that you don't really know, people on the street you encountered this morning. Just picture one or two or three of them and extend the wish of love to them. May these two be deeply well and happy. At the same time, you're receiving from your benefactors and expressing this wish toward your dear ones. And then bring to mind, this is a little more heavy lifting, bring to mind some people you have difficulty with. Some one or two people that you have a negative reaction to. Don't pick, out, don't pick the worst, don't pick the heaviest. We don't have time for that. <laughs> Just pick somebody who maybe annoys you, is difficult. And uh, while receiving the, the from your benefactor, allow the wish of love to pass through you to yourself, to your dear ones, to the strangers, and now also to the difficult ones. May these two be deeply well and happy. And notice whatever's going on there because that's the work of the meditation. It's to work through it.
and then drop the imagery and return to rest. Have all the images dissolve into light. Maybe you can allow that light to condense into a single point and have that point lodge in your heart. All the love from benefactors, from yourself and the others. And then let go and rest. So you're invited, you're all invited to the UU Buddhist group, first and third, Tuesday, 7.30, where we do this practice and others. There are other places where you can do these practices also. But you see how the possibility of community resides within each one of us. Beloved community dawns when you awaken to your own unbounded friendliness. The universe itself becomes community, not because it's transformed, but because you are. <laughs>